Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 5, Episode 7. Good to have you back at Great Ridge Station. Well, I have to start off with a story, but first, the obligatory disclaimer. I'm not trying to whine here. Clearly, this is a first world problem, and I have no reason to complain. But the story fits into the material I want to discuss. So about five years ago, we had a water heater installed, and we paid extra for the extended warranty. Frankly, that water heater was nothing but trouble. We were getting 170 degree water out of the faucet. That's roughly 75 degrees Celsius. That is dangerously hot. Well, the water heater quit working, some internal component went out, and it had to be replaced. And the water was still that hot. The thermocoupler went out and had to be replaced. The water stayed hot. Finally, they replaced the whole control unit. And yes, the water was still way hot. We finally put the water heater in vacation mode, and that kept the water around 140 degrees. Still too hot, but somewhat less dangerous. Well, a few weeks back, we woke up to cold water and the water heater flashing an error code. Well, we figured since the unit was still under warranty, we'd call that same plumber back. Well, apparently they have to come out and check the system once a year or the warranty is void. They never told us that, and they never provided a written copy of the warranty. So they finally gave us a credit for the old water heater and convinced us to replace it. Mind you, we only had to pay for the installation labor, which came to more than the original cost of the unit that they replaced. So, water heater installed, mission accomplished, done. Well, a week and a half later, no hot water. The water heater is blinking, an error code. So, we call and they send out a plumber. The guy they sent, true story, blamed the person who installed the water heater and said they did a bad job with the gas line. He shut up when we told him that it was his company that had installed it. So he fixes the problem, and when I say he fixed the problem, I mean he reset a sensor and made sure that it would restart. I mentioned to him that he had not addressed whatever caused the problem in the first place, and he assured me that it will be fine. Next day, no hot water. Again. But this time, they won't come out because it's a holiday. Now, in all fairness, we probably wouldn't make them come out on the holiday anyway, but still. So, 36 hours later, without hot water, the next plumber shows up and does his magic. And while he's there, he tells us that his company will only let them fix one thing at a time. So, in other words, if there are two parts contributing to a problem, they'll fix one and return if the problem doesn't resolve. And the upshot of this is that if there, there probably was nothing wrong with our original water heater, just an annoying contributing problem. So there are two things here. First, an absolute lack of ethics. And second, a moronic approach to problem solving. And that's what we're going to discuss this time around. I have two major strands of critical and strategic thinking running in my mind most of the time. One of them, modal analysis, is better left for another time. But systems thinking, well, that one is relevant to the point. 
So one of my mentors, Dr. Bill Johnson, a retired Bethel University professor, first taught me the power of systems theory and systems thinking. It started out as a way for me to think through challenging issues, but the more I got into it, I discovered I was having, well, more and more light bulb moments about things. See, everything works as part of a system. In fact, you would be hard-pressed to come up with anything that was not a part of a system. Now, admittedly, systems vary in size and complexity, but pretty much nothing stands on its own. Look at the main door to your home, your dwelling, your domicile. It's easy to think it's just a door. Let's step back and look at some of the systems involved. Yes, it's a door, but it includes a lock, hinges, the door itself, the door frame. Each of those components has a story, a connection to broader systems. The lock, the key, the key ring, the lock, the lock manufacturer, the employees who made it, the engineer who designed it, the lock. The locksmith who got you back in that time you lost your key. The courses the locksmith took to learn the trade. The lock. The metal alloys used to make it. The energy needed to produce it. The machines used to create the parts. The training and know-how that went into it. The development of lock technology. You know, this is bonus info, but I've said before, my grandfather was a railroad man. So the door of the depot, the, the station where he worked, was locked with a heavy-duty padlock through a heavy-duty hasp. Things have changed a lot. Now that's just the lock. Other parts will have other systemic connections. But let's not get stuck in one place. The door is part of the building. It controls traffic flow, airflow. It's a structural component in the wall itself. Now, if you've ever been in the situation where you had to replace a single hinge, you'll immediately get an idea of the complex geometry going on with that door. And any of those aspects can be well-designed or poorly designed. Look, I love the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, but whoever does designed the traffic flow in that building was pretty much oblivious to reality. In the men's room, the line of people coming in blocks the route of the people coming out. The traffic flow is designed in a double X pattern, so you wind up getting in people's way twice going in, twice going out. Systems matter. So general systems theory was developed by Ludwig von Bertalanffy between about 1923 and 1973. And personally, I've become a big fan of his original work. My opinion, though, is that some of his successors have taken his original work in some un unhelpful directions. I put a link to the original 1966 compendium in the show notes. Now, some of the work based on general systems theory has been very good and quite influential. The book, The Fifth Discipline, The Art and Practice of the Learning Organization, by Peter Senge, was an outgrowth of von Bertalanffy's work. Now, it doesn't give you the whole picture, just an aspect or two, but still a really helpful work. So let me draw from a couple of sources to give you an explanation of complex systems. First, von Bertalanffy's text, but also Peter Vail's book, Learning as a Way of Being. Uh, let me give you a couple of caveats about the Vail book. It's almost 30 years old, and I was desperately hoping that he would revise it for our generation, but that doesn't seem likely to happen. That can probably be explained by the second caveat. It's a good book that would have made a wonderful article. <laughs> 
Even with that, both of these texts had a profound impact on my own thinking and continue to inform my practice as a leader and even as an educator. So let me give you a quick description of systems theory. First, as I said earlier, everything is part of at least one system. These connections may be strong and influential or weak and inconsequential. A system cannot be fully understood by looking at its parts separately. I'll say that again. A system cannot be fully understood by looking at its parts separately. An analysis of systems may be the only tool available to negotiate the non-physical or non-tangible systems or aspects of a system. Now, I use the term analysis of systems rather than systems analysis because, well, that phrase has taken on a decidedly technological, computer-oriented connotation. Think of it in terms of being able to understand what's going on in or as a result of a particular system. Here's one. Systems are always designed. Lamberto Lanfi takes kind of a theistic view that natural systems have their root in a designer-creator. His view is that the complexity of creation is far too intricate to have evolved out of a system slowly collapsing into entropy. He still argues that createdness is a characteristic of all systems. Now, I get it, in the creative economy there are systems where no single person or entity is responsible for the whole system. Lamberto Lanfi's argument would be that designing subsystems so that they can interact as part of a larger, more complex system is an important element of system design. System theory also says there's no such thing as chaos. Now, there's a level of complexity beyond which analysis becomes impossible, but that does not mean that order is not present. So, let me talk about that last one for just a couple minutes. Von Bertolanffy provides an informal hierarchy of systems. This isn't a scientific breakdown, and even in the model he uses, he makes it clear that there are exceptions and further complications. Even so, it can be helpful to think about systems in this way. He starts with static structures such as chemicals, crystals, stones, so on. Things that remain as they are unless they're acted on by an outside force. Next would be a clock mechanism. A clock mechanism follows all of the traditional rules of Newtonian physics and behaves in predictable ways simply because of the laws of mechanics. Now, a statement like that seems to suggest that anyone who took a high school physics class can fix a watch with no problem, but I don't think that's what he means. Anyway, control mechanisms would be the next, the next piece. Things like thermostats, pressure valves, and so on. Anything that responds to changes in the particular environment in order to accomplish a particular goal. Open systems, then, such as cells, flames, simple organisms, and DNA... Although von Bertolanffy himself recognized the limitations in understanding these connections fully, he simply argued that the connections exist and that they are, in fact, open systems. Then he talks about lower organisms, plant-like organisms that demonstrate specialized cells for specialized purposes. And then animals, which include increasingly complex sensory systems and the ability to respond to complex environmental changes. And then finally, people, which are capable of symbolic expression, historical awareness, 
communication, have an awareness of self, and an awareness of consequences of actions. He then goes on to talk about social and cultural systems that define interactions between organisms or other systems, and then symbolic frameworks such as languages, mathematics, science, arts, and moral and ethical systems. That's his breakdown. I think it's helpful. It's not just the theory of ideas, though. He has a couple of chapters of mathematical equations that really demonstrate the core truth behind systems theory. The more variables you have, the more difficult it is to fully understand the system. Seems intuitive, but the mathematical proof of that forms, well, a core technical element in his work. To add some clarity, this all gets complicated by the fact that it is the nature of systems to interact with one another. Now I know that was a long way to go for this lesson. You can't fix a water heater installation gone bad by tweaking one part at a time. Well, obviously, there's more to this topic, and next time around we'll dig into it further. You'll learn why I'm always skeptical when someone describes himself as a good problem solver, and why it is that when that happens, I think, run away, run away! But we'll save that for next time. So until our next episode, you'll find me hanging around the station, always ready for someone to strike up a conversation. Like I said, I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. If you have ideas or questions that you would like me to address, steer them my way on Twitter, hashtag GRSQuestions, and you'll find me there too, at LJ Helgerson. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.